Well, good morning, Austin Oaks Church. Uh, Good morning. My name is Josh. I am the discipleship associate on staff here at the church. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, Thanks for being here. Thanks for making us a part of your morning. Uh, To everyone tuning in online as well, thanks for for just being here with us. Um, Here at Austin Oaks Church, we say that we are simply about Jesus Uh, So that means this morning we are worshiping Jesus in song and the things that we've sung together. We remind ourselves, we teach each other about who Jesus is, about how great he is. We get to proclaim that together in song as well to worship God through music. And now we're going to the scriptures, um, the Bible. We believe that Jesus speaks through the scriptures, that it has something to say to us today, even this morning that changes our life. We are simply about Jesus. And that, that um, encapsulates who we are as Austin Oaks Church um, and that kind of makes me think about what, if, if that phrase, simply about Jesus, is for our church, uh, what are some of the phrases that kind of capture the ideas of this age, of our culture, of the people that were around every day? And one of those um, phrases that I thought of, um, that I've heard a lot, that we're encouraged to do pretty often, um, is this idea to speak your truth. Now, if what you mean by that is to share your experiences, to, um, that, that you ought to have a group of people, some friends or confidants, that you're able to just um, process things with, right? To share the things that you've gone through, the things that you're thinking about, um, your perception of how the world is, then that's a good thing. It's, it's healthy to be able to, to speak and not feel like you have to um, shut your mouth in every situation, but to actually express yourself. That's good and that's healthy. But the problem with this idea of speaking your truth is that it implies that truth itself is something that you have, right? And, and if you have your truth and I have my truth, well, then you can live off in your own little universe and I can live in mine and, and nothing I do has to ever affect you, right? You, you can just live on your own. There's no objective standard. There's no real truth, nothing true that can um, come connect both of us, right? If we have... Um, truth as something that is relative, something that's subjective, something that depends on the eye of the beholder, then we really can't um, lay claim to one another's life. We can have completely different sets of morals and ideas and thoughts, and it doesn't matter if they contradict because, hey, it's my truth, man. You have your truth. I have mine, okay? Um, And especially when we look at the Bible, when we look at Christianity, this, this um, set of ideas that is so integral to the way that we, that we live, right? My experience, this is truth. But if this is just my truth, then how does it speak into your life? How can I share the truth if it's just something that's mine, if it doesn't actually lay claim to anything in your life? Isn't it then arrogant for me to say that my truth in the Bible should change the way that you live? 
right? And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be seen as arrogant. Especially, I mean, you think about this message, the good news of God's grace and his love. Is it, is it arrogant to share that? Really? And, and if, if my truth doesn't really have anything to say to you, then I start to lose confidence. Why should I even share it? Well, this morning, we get to see a few of the disciples, a few of the, the apostles, Peter and John, and we see their confidence in the truth. We see their boldness before uh, the powers of this world. And I think it has something to speak to us here this morning in how we are able to witness to the truth with boldness and with confidence. Um, so I want to read here today from Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. It says that when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So this passage that we just read was a response. It was the church responding to what um, the, the report that they received from Peter and John. So we, we're kind of just dropping in in the middle of this story here. It's in media res. Um, so if you were with us last week, Pastor Brandon kind of set this up for us, um, the, the story that we have before this of Peter and John. They were going to the temple, and in front of the temple, there was a beggar there, and he was lame. He could not walk. He was about 40 years old, so he had been there day in and day out begging for money because he wasn't able to work because he couldn't walk. And uh, Peter and John, they stretched out their hands. They said, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And through the power of Jesus' name, he was healed a man who was not able to walk before now miraculously was able to because of the power of Jesus. So the people around them saw this miracle, this man that they had seen uh, begging here for years and years and years. They saw him, hey, he's able to walk now. And they started praising God. And so there was this commotion, right? There was this group of people that were praising God outside the temple. And so um, the leaders, the rulers, the, the, I, I assume it was the people that were inside the temple, the high priests and the elders and the scribes, they come out, they see this commotion, they say, what is going on here? And they have Peter and John arrested for starting a riot, okay? So they're in prison and they're called before these rulers, the, the rulers of the people, the high priests in the temple, the elders 
the scribes, these, these, these people who were the elites of their day. They had political power, but they, were also, they also had religious power. Those two were intertwined in these days. And they come before these, these rulers and they testify. What, what were you doing here? What happened? And they say that it was in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. That because of what Jesus is doing, This is a sign of how he brings renewal, of how he fixes what's broken, about how he has brought salvation to his people. And not only that, Peter and John go so far, I'd imagine they stick their their, uh, fingers out, they point towards those rulers. You crucified this man, right? You, You killed Jesus. His blood is on your hands. You had him killed, but he has resurrected. He's come back from the dead. He's shown that he has power over death. He took his sins on his body, our sins on his body, and washed them away. And now salvation is only in the name of Jesus. And this was a sign of what Jesus is doing in the world, how he's bringing this salvation. Um, So it says here in verse 13 that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So again, you think these people that they're testifying to, these are the teachers of the law. These guys had dedicated their entire life to learning the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, of teaching the scriptures to other people. They were the ones who were, who were doing the sacrifices in the temple week in and week out. They knew the Bible of their day front to back. And they saw the boldness of Peter and John who were uneducated men. They didn't have the same training, right? And they were astonished that they could be so bold, so confident in a realm that they were supposed to be experts in about who God was, about how God worked, about what God was doing in the world. And Peter and John knew better than that. They were confident and bold in what they proclaimed to these people. I mean, it's kind of like if you were to stand before the Pope, right? The Pope is supposed to be this, this, this elite leader of spiritual things, right? And you start talking theology. You start expounding upon the Bible, and you call, him, you call him to repentance. It's like that. Before the high priest, these are just common men, uneducated. They didn't have uh, the same training. They didn't have the same prestige. Right? Peter and John weren't standing there. Their confidence was not in years of training. It wasn't in their education. It wasn't in the title before their name. They were just regular people. Their confidence was found in being with Jesus, right? It says that the the rulers recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had spent time with this man who had died, who had come back from the dead, and they were speaking in his name. They were confident, not in their own ideas, not in their education, not in those things, but in Jesus, in what he had said. They were witnesses to what Jesus had done, the miracles he had performed, and his resurrection, and his resurrection power. 
I mean, that, that sounds kind of crazy, right? If someone were to come to you and say that they were hanging out with someone that everyone saw die. Jesus had a public execution. But that's what they were proclaiming. We were with him. He was resurrected, and it's in his name that these miracles are happening. It's in his name, and only in his name, that people can be saved, that God is bringing salvation to his people. So what were um, these elders, these rulers trying to do? Verse 14 says that seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. They couldn't deny what Peter and John had done. See, they couldn't deny what Jesus had done also, how, how he had resurrected from the dead. And seeing this man standing there, the very one that people knew, it wasn't like Peter and John had put on a show. They didn't bring someone in who was limping along and then, oh, all of a sudden he's able to take a few steps. No, this was a man years and years and years begging in front of the temple. People knew he wasn't able to walk, and they knew the power of Jesus when they saw him walking. They knew that God was doing something, that the message that Peter and John had to bring as witnesses of who Jesus was, it was, was true because of how God allowed them to perform these signs and these miracles. And, and the elders, the rulers, they couldn't deny it. And it's interesting to me, their, their first response, right? Because you see the people, when they see this man who was miraculously healed, their first response is to praise God. Look at what God is doing. He's healing us. He's showing us the truth. He's showing us his salvation for all the people. But to these religious leaders, what was their response? Their first response is, how can we deny what's going on? How can we put down these men? How can we get them to shut up, to stop talking in the name of Jesus? See, the common people recognized that Peter and John's message was from God, but the religious leaders were so blinded, they tried to deny it. They were trying everything they could to stop it from happening. And, and they couldn't condemn Peter and John as false prophets because their signs were true. Their miracles, it was true. They couldn't deny it. And why would they want to deny a miracle? Why would they want to deny the fact that healing is occurring here? Well, it's because they thought themselves higher than Jesus. That their understanding of who God was, of how God works, their truth of who God was, um, was higher, had more authority than that of Jesus. They set themselves up to oppose Jesus and his message. We see that because the next few verses, in verse 17, it says, in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. See, the Peter and John, the disciples, they weren't just giving their own 
ideas, their own thoughts. They weren't just talking about the latest and greatest thing. They were speaking in the name of Jesus. At this time in Rome, it was really common to have people gather together and share their new philosophies, share their new ideas with one another, kick around um, something new that they had found out, scientific discoveries or just thoughts about the way that the world worked. Okay? So that's not what offended the religious leaders. What offended them was that they spoke in the name of Jesus. They spoke with the authority of God himself. They said, this isn't just my idea. This isn't just my thought. This isn't just my truth. This is truth that extends over all because it comes from the one who has all authority and all power on heaven and earth. It comes from God himself. And it does convict every one of us. We all have blood on our hands because of what happened to Jesus. And he can wash away our sins he is the one who can save us. So they say, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. They recognize these, these men had been with Jesus, that they spoke of Jesus, that their testimony, their witness, their message had come from Jesus. It wasn't their own. And so Peter and John then turn the tables on the religious leaders. Verse 19 says that um, Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. They said, who are you before the almighty God? God has done these amazing things. He's performed these miracles. He's healing people. He's bringing us salvation through his son. How can we listen to you when you tell us to stop speaking in his name? If God himself has spoken, has revealed himself through his son, then why should we listen to you when you tell us to stop speaking? What authority do you have over God himself? And I love the way that this is worded. We cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. Now you think of a witness in a courtroom, a witness is someone who has seen something happen, and they are called to testify to what they've seen, what they've heard. And in Acts, um, earlier in the book, Acts 1.8, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he says that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. How can we stay silent we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. We stand as witnesses to what God has done. In this time, it was, yes, Jesus himself on the earth. But in your own life, I have to ask, what has God done? Are you a witness to the amazing things that Jesus does? How he cleanses us from sin. You know, we, we, the songs that we were singing were talking about it this morning. Andres was even um, showing us, bringing out the, the bridge of that song, that it is finished, it is done by his stripes, we're healed. By his death, we live. Have you witnessed that? Have you experienced that? Have you seen it? Have you heard it? Is it a part of your life? And if so, 
Are you a witness to that? Because Jesus says you will be. And just like these disciples, I want to say, I cannot but speak of what I've seen and what I've heard. So going back to that question earlier, um, isn't it arrogant to say something like that? To say that this actually doesn't just apply to me, but it does apply to everyone, everywhere. And, and who are you to talk about my life, right? Who are you to make a claim about the way that, that I should live? Well, to be totally honest, I'm no one, okay? You, you don't have to listen to me. I don't have authority. I'm not um, some genius, okay? I don't have uh, ideas and thoughts that anyone else should follow. I'm no one. But the God that I serve is the Lord over all. He is the one who has all authority. And when he speaks, who am I to stop but speaking of that? Who am I but to, to witness to what I've seen, to what I've heard? Right? It's not out of arrogance that I share this message. It's actually out of humility, recognizing I am no one but God himself is Lord over all, and his word speaks to all as well, and we need to share it. How can we stay silent? The religious leaders here in this um, story, you know, that for all their, their blustering, saying that they know better than Jesus, going against God himself, um, it's kind of ironic because we see who they really feared, what was really driving them. Because in verse 21, it says that when they had further threatened Peter and John, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people who were all praising God for what had happened. See, they, they wanted to punish the disciples. They wanted to get them to shut up. They wanted to throw them back in jail, but they were afraid that there was going to be a riot. Okay? They didn't care about their position before God in what they were doing. They cared about what people thought. They cared that there might be a riot if they had punished these people. The, the very same people who were praising God because of the miracle. Right? The, the, the religious leaders were scared of men. They wanted to maintain their power and their control. They wanted people to like them. It shows their weakness when it's not rooted in God. They didn't have the authority that Peter and John had. So this whole story kind of sets up where we're going this morning. It was a victory for Peter and John. They showed confidence and they showed, showed boldness in what Jesus had given to them, what they had witnessed to. They were fulfilling that call to be a witness to what they had seen and what they had heard. And they were threatened by the ruling powers of the world. And we see that in this passage, it was just an empty threat, but these were the people who had power in their day, and when they threatened them and said that if you continue to speak in Jesus' name, you will be punished. We can't do it today, but it's what's going to happen. And there were real threats that were given to them. So now we see the response of the church. Peter and John go back 
to this, this, this fledgling church here. And I say fledgling, but it's already over 5,000 people. Like God is really working. He is saving people's lives. They're coming to faith. And Peter and John report what had happened. And they report that there had been these threats, that if we continue to do what we've been called to do, if we continue to witness, we're getting into some dangerous territory. We could go to jail, right? We could be imprisoned, we could be beaten. We may even lose our lives because we speak in the name of Jesus. And and imagine that you were one of those new believers here, one of those 5,000 people who had just heard the saving message of Jesus, that yes, you, you see these miracles, you see Jesus resurrected, you see there is salvation, the goodness of God, his love, you see people coming to faith, and then you hear about this opposition that's coming. You hear that, that, that the rulers of the world would have you to stop speaking in the name of Jesus, or you could die. Your friends could be thrown in jail, right? Your family could be imprisoned, could be hurt because of you speaking in Jesus' name, because of your witness of what he's done. And what is their response to potentially losing their lives? It's to run to God, right? It's not devising a plan. You know, maybe we can just uh, go underground for a little while until this all blows over. They didn't have to come up with a plan because their plan wasn't theirs to begin with. It was the mission that God had given them. They were dependent on God for their next steps not on their own ideas, not on their own truth, but on what God was speaking. And so they ran to him saying, God, you need to be the one to give us the strength to do this. And this prayer that we have here, I love it because it's beautifully just saturated in the scriptures. Verse 24 says that when they heard it, these threats, this report, They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they're addressing God as the sovereign Lord, as the one who has all authority and all power, right? Who is over all. And their understanding of who God is, is rooted in the scripture. It's rooted in Genesis. They talk about how God is the creator right, of the heaven and the earth and everything in the earth. It wasn't just their ideas of God, not just this vague spiritual being that's up there. No, they knew who God had revealed himself to be through the scripture. And that's who they're praying to. God, our creator, our sovereign Lord, who has created all things. They address him because they know who he is through the scriptures. And then you see their understanding of the scripture as well. They're talking about how they pull this psalm from the Bible, this song that they had sung together, and they know that it was written by King David, but they also recognize that it was God who spoke through King David in order to write these words, that God superintended his word that it was God speaking through the Bible. They, they saw the scripture as God's revelation of him revealing who he is. 
And then they take the scripture in this prayer, which is so beautiful, and they apply it to their life. They apply it to what is happening right now. So they're talking about in this song that the nations rage against God, that there are these rulers and powers and authorities who set themselves up against what God is doing, against God and his anointed. And they see, oh, that's exactly what's happening today. Our ruler, uh, King Herod, Pontius Pilate, these people set themselves up against Jesus. They crucified Jesus. So they take the scripture and they see, yes, this speaks to us now. This is exactly what we're going through. This is a picture. And, and, and they take that and they see how they can apply it and what it says about God as well. They recognize that God has said they will face an enemy. They will face opposition. Right? And we, we see that, that the rulers even oppose Jesus himself. So how can we expect not to receive any opposition when we witness to him? They, they also saw the fear of man that the, the rulers had, right? And, and they didn't want to fear man. They said, God, you are sovereign. Give us strength to recognize that as we witness as well. And then they say something really strange because in the middle of talking about the, the, the power that these rulers have who oppose God, who've set themselves up, um, who have threatened them and their lives, in the middle of that, they say that these people, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, that they they are doing whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So even the, the, the enemies of God were predestined? Like, like you'd think that they were talking about the destruction of those enemies, maybe, or, or our, our confidence in going forward. And yes, God, that's, that's what you have planned. But no, they're saying that God planned that there would even be enemies to come up against them. Why would they say something like that? What, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's because they could also see what God has brought about through opposition, through having these enemies. See, God's plan included the death of Jesus at the hands of these men, of Herod and Pontius Pilate. God brought about salvation. He showed his love in the most amazing way through the death of Jesus, which included Pontius Pilate's rise to power, right? God placed these leaders in authority because he knew what, because he had his plan and he knew what it was moving towards, that Jesus would save his people through his own death, See, the church here recognizes that God can bring good out of evil, out of darkness, out of death. God brings about something amazing that we could never imagine. When we see opposition, when we see darkness, when we see evil, when it seems like there's no light, God is working to bring about something amazing. When the church saw a threat to their life, they recognized that, God, you have put these authorities there but we know you're doing something better. We know 
because you've called us to witness to you that you will do something. That this evil that's happening, this coming persecution will only serve to show off your glory all the more. They recognize that opposition provides opportunity to glorify God because in our weakness, he is strong. When we recognize, I I don't have the power to fight against the rulers of this world. They're coming against me with threats. I am weak. We need to rely on God for his strength because we recognize him as our sovereign God. Opposition provides opportunity to rely on God rather than our own strength, our own ideas. So what then do they ask of God? They ask for boldness to do the very thing that God had called them to do, to witness. It's not their plan, it's not their agenda that they want to accomplish, but just to give us boldness to do what you have called us to do, Lord, to be your witness. And God is the one who sustains them through this. And this is, this is so encouraging to me personally um, because so often I'm reading the scriptures, I'm learning about the Lord, I'm spending time with him. I, I, I so often hear Jesus saying, oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? Because I can get so fired up Right, oh, this is, so, this is so good. He's showing me so much good stuff. I know my life is gonna change. I'm applying this in my life. It's amazing when I'm spending time with the Lord, but then I can turn around and when I'm with other people, I just shut my mouth, right? I just, I just go with the flow, right? We can, we can talk about other things. I don't have to bring up what God is doing in my life. I don't have to witness to what he's doing. And it's, it's comforting to me to know that I'm not alone, that God's people have struggled with the same things, the fear of man in times past. That when they saw this opposition, they went to the Lord for strength. And I can do the same today. In fact, you think about it, even Jesus himself faced opposition from the world He was crucified after all. And Jesus, Jesus didn't walk in his own strength. He needed God's strength to carry out his mission as well. Hebrews tells us that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And here the church acknowledges their own weakness, right? They didn't downplay the danger that they were in, right? They, they saw the nation's rage. Our lives are at stake here. They didn't downplay that but they cried out to God and said that we recognize you, Lord, have all power and all authority. But we also recognize 
those that are against us. And we're afraid and we need your power, your strength to overcome that so we can go forward. Strengthen us, oh God. Give us boldness and confidence in you. Not in our own strength, not in our own ideas, not in our own version of the truth, but in God himself, what is ultimately true. Um, In his commentary on this passage, Matthew Henry says this, and I think it's so beautifully put. He says, they do not pray, Lord, let us go away from our work now that it has become dangerous, but Lord, give us thy grace to go on steadfastly in our work and not to fear the face of man. This psalm that they quote, um, Psalm 5, I believe it is, if you go back and you read the entire psalm, they quote the first two verses of this psalm. It talks about the nations raging, the people um, opposing God and how they, they make this grand stand against the Lord. But if you look just later, just a couple verses later, verse four, it says that he who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Right? And then the, the psalm goes on to talk about how God has placed Jesus as king over all of the earth, over all of our ideas, our version of the truth. God, Jesus himself, reigns over all of it. And then it ends up, the end of the psalm, it says, who, can, who is like our God? Who can stand up against him? And it says that God will dash them into pieces like a clay pot that the danger that we face, the opposition that we're up against is nothing before the strength of our God. And then finally, um, these last few verses, the ending of their prayer, they say, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, that they saw themselves as servants. They said, we are your servants. It's not our agenda, not our ambition, not our ideas that we are presenting. We only seek to serve the Lord. And in fact, they say that we will go. We want to do what you have for us, Lord. You are the one who performs the miracles. You stretch out your hand. You heal your people. You draw people. You are the one who does the saving work. We want to follow your lead, O God. We are absolutely dependent on God for him to move for him to do the work while we follow after what he's called us to do. And then finally, it says that God is pleased with their requests, right? God immediately responds to them asking for his strength, his power, his boldness because they have shown their dependence, their absolute reliance on the Lord right? All throughout this prayer. Um, In the first case, they use the scripture. 
they use God's word. They're dependent not on their ideas of God, but on what God has said about himself. They need God to even show them who he is. They're dependent on God by using his word in this prayer. They're dependent on God to speak the message because they weren't called to, to, to some new idea. They were called to be a witness to what God was doing, what God had done. They proclaim what they have seen and what they've heard, so they rely on, Lord, on, on the Lord for his message, his word, his message, and they rely on God to be filled with his power to fight against their fear, not in their own strength, but through the power of God. To be filled with his power, to have that confidence, to have that boldness, not something they mustered up, but the power of God. And it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak with boldness. This is a picture of the church being fully reliant on the Lord in all that they do. So what does that mean for us? How do we rely on the Lord in our day? How can we uh, depend on him intellectually? The way that we think, the way that we even uh, construct our arguments. Well, like the church, going back to Genesis, we need to rely on God to even uh, define our reality of him as creator over all things, of the heavens and the earth and all things. We rely on him to tell us what is really real, right? How do we rely on him emotionally? Well, it it means we don't seek out other um, ways of escape when life gets hard, but it means to run to God, to cry out to him for the strength to face the things that, yeah, he's put in our lives, the difficult things, the opposition that we face. And what's interesting to me too is that relying on God, being fully dependent on God, it doesn't mean that we don't do anything, right? God is the one who who does the miracle. He is the one who saves, but yet the church goes out to witness, right? We see both of these things occurring, that it is all God and yet we have work to do. We follow what he has called us to do as his witnesses. So one way um, that comes to my mind, especially this year, as we as a church, um, we have this emphasis on prayer, right? One way we can depend on God in everything in our life is to run to him in prayer and to develop a rich life of prayer that recognizes God's power and our weakness. This week, we're actually meeting for a prayer night on Thursday night. If you'd like to join us as a church, we come together um, particularly, particularly to pray for the lost, but for a number of different things. So if you have some time available to you, I'd encourage you to be here over in the community hall. We'll be praying together. But in your own personal life, one way that you can build this dependence, this reliance on God's strength is to cultivate a rich prayer life, to pray for boldness, to pray for confidence, to pray for the lost, to pray that you would fight against temptation, whether that's just to fear man 
the temptation to fear man or whether that is some sin in your life. Pray against those things that God would provide his strength to overcome them. And like we've seen here, we know that God will supply our every need. What would it look like if we lived fully dependent on God? I'm encouraged because I think we've actually seen a little glimpse of that so far this year as we've committed to praying for the lost, for those in our lives who don't know Jesus, and and for us to, to be the witnesses, to speak. And we've seen people come to faith in Christ. We've seen lives change from death to life. We've seen, we've had baptisms here. We've seen what God can do when we rely on him, when we recognize our weakness and we look to him for strength. We get to see that. We get to see people being saved, God being magnified, being made much of, being glorified. And we see his church active and making a difference in the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, well, for your word, for who you are, that you have not left us in the dark as to what is true. And that truth is only found in you. Lord, we recognize our weakness. We know the areas where we are not strong enough to continue. We know the mission that you've called us to is too great, too grand for us to accomplish in ourselves and that we were never intended to. Lord, may we be your witnesses. I do pray for boldness. Pray for boldness in my own life, but in the lives of those here as well, in the lives of your church, that we would go forward with confidence and with boldness to witness to what we have seen and heard, that we cannot but speak of what you have done in our lives, of your greatness, and how that affects every part of our lives, the way we think, the way that we act, or change us. Help us to become more like you. Thank you for your grace when we fail. Thank you that we can recognize our weakness and your strength. Thank you for your salvation through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.